My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is Amir Jandali. Amir is a brilliant, vibrant, energizing, creative human being who has who brings together all of these different disciplines to imagine a world where a true human future is possible, a world in which we have not only tackled the challenge of climate change, but actually built a really beautiful more inclusive, more energizing, both metaphorically, but literally in the sense of where we get our energy, our fuel, our our food, a world where everyone can thrive. He's the founder of a new social design firm called Future Meets Present. And they're doing incredible work to actually help us see what's possible on the other side of the possible climate crisis that we're facing right now. Not the possible climate crisis, the actual climate crisis we're facing, but the possibilities that exist on the other side of it. He brings a natural optimism and enthusiasm to these questions of of existence, of survival, of thriving. And uh, he's also just a really wonderful, heartfelt human being who has dedicated his life to bringing people together. So let's get settled in. And hear what Amir has for us. Hi, Amir. Cool. Hi. Welcome. Good morning. Yeah. Yes, sweet. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. You're in Brooklyn, right? I'm in Brooklyn. I'm in Crown Heights. How is it there today? It's quite lovely. Um, I'm looking, uh, I have a north facing northwest facing window and so i start seeing the sun afternoon after a certain hour and right now it's clear sky it's gorgeous the snow's still on the floor it's really pretty it's my favorite weather actually yeah me too me too actually yeah i love i don't hear a lot of people say that (laughs) maybe let's start there because often when people talk about the weather, it's to sort of kvetch, which is a beautiful, like there's something like two people kvetching together is a wonderful, you know, thing in its own way. But I wonder, what do you love about this weather? Um, I, I like winter a lot, actually. I think it's cool. Um, it just has, that's ah, so funny. I was just talking, talking to my friend about this the other day. Cause she lives in a, on the 15th floor of her building. Mm. And during the blizzard, we could look out and see, the whole city and it just looks so sick. And I was thinking about this the other day and I think I just really appreciate the distinct seasons. Mm. Um, I was, I grew up in New Mexico mm. 
and desert, uh, which was lovely, beautiful in its own right. But we didn't really have that cold of winters. And then before I moved to New York, I spent a year in Saudi Arabia mm. where it was pretty much like June for 12 months. <laughs> this felt so, it was cool for sure, but it also just felt so like it was something's missing. I had no sense of, of, of movement. I had no sense of cycles. I had no sense of, um, yeah, just moving through time or space. And that was a little bizarre. And I think especially the winter, it just has so much to teach us, you know? Uh, yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah. That, that helps me tune into a thought I have a lot. It's kind of an anchoring thought that helps me achieve some perspective when I'm, when I'm caught up in whatever particular worry or, or urgency or to do item, which is, which is the reminder that the seasons are an artifact of our planet's relationship with the sun and the way that this planet, this, this orb of rock and magma and this super thin layer of life on top, like is either closer or further away from the sun and at what's what part of the planet you're standing on. It's sort of like, just amazes me every time that we are in a way a hair's breadth away from space and yet like mm-hmm. have these beautiful, these deep dark nights and these beautiful warm days. And yeah, whenever I need to like relocate myself in the world, that, that helps a lot. Yeah. That contextualization, of course, even just there's, there's a couple of shows on Netflix or one show on Netflix and then uh, on Hulu. Have you ever watched Cosmos? Uh, I have watched some of the original with Carl Sagan and also some with the updated with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. Love yeah. It. At like seven years ago, I think, um, a space time odyssey, the, the Carl Sagan's one was uh, what in the eighties, right? Yeah. Yeah. Neil deGrasse Tyson made space time odyssey in uh, six, seven years ago. And then last year, the newest season came out. Oh, it's called possible world. And it's so sick because they just show you based on certain um, data received from uh, certain planets, it, they, they're able to define certain conditions upon mm-hmm. which life might be able to live in those conditions. Mm-hmm. Because this planet is mostly gaseous and oxygen only occurs at this and this place, then it's likely that if this planet were to be inhabited, life would be here and here and all these kind of things. And it shows you what that, those aliens might look like. <laughs> That's so cool. And then so they also continue talking about, um, for example, like this planet here is locked in an orbit around its sun, but it itself does not rotate. So it's permanently sunlight and permanently dark. One half and one half. And then how might life evolve in permanent light and permanent darkness and things? And so when you hear that, you just see that and it just really creates this valuable distinction between what that is and what we have here. Exactly what you're saying right now. That's so killer. It it is super cool, man. And so I love the seasons. Yes. Yes. (laughs) There's actually, there's actually a book which might be inspired by that planet. I'm blanking on the name of the book, but the author's name is Charlie Jane Anders. And it's set in a city that basically straddles that that light okay. equator that you just described. So the so the city only exists kind of because it's too bright in the full light side and it's too dark on the full dark side. So it exists right in that liminal space. And everyone who lives on the planet lives on this kind of ring around the planet. <laughs> yeah, it's so wild. My gosh. Yes. And of course, there are some things that live out in the darkness and there's some interesting kind of explorations about 
what that is and what they are. But uh, yeah, there's, you actually use this phrase coming in, which I don't hear uh, a lot of people use, but that I use a lot, which is the phrase of world building. Okay. Before we started recording, you said I have four world building conversations lined up this week or something like that. And I, and I was like, Ooh, like (laughs) sci-fi, like nerd alert, like there's, we're world building. I want to hear more about that. What is what is a world building conversation, Amir? And are we having one right now? <laughs> well, that is wow. I yeah, I would say so. Absolutely, constantly for sure. Um, yeah, it's I, it's cool. That reminds me of you know just people uh, the the notion of um, can one person change the world? Well, we're always changing the world, whether we know it or not. Which mm-hmm. is, are we do we have agency in that? Are we doing it intentionally based on our mm-hmm. choices, based on the people we vote for, based on conversations we have. So yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I think so. And in, in terms of the world building conversations, um, those are actual four, four world building projects that I have active right now. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is um, it's an online digital space. And so it's think of um, it's a platform called gather you know, Gather, have you used it before? Uh, only to, to prepare for this episode, I poked around a bit in the oh, market, okay. marketplace of the future. So I would yeah. definitely want to talk about that at some point. So let's talk about it now. Yeah. Cool. Great. So yeah, if, for anyone listening, um, what we're talking about here is uh, since the pandemic started last year, there became um, a rise in a couple of little online world building platforms. So this one's called Gather, gather.town. It's really great. You imagine like you have a little 8-bit character that looks a little bit like Game Boy Zelda and you walk around this world and as your character encounters another one, uh, the screen appears. It's like Zoom meets Zelda is what I like to say. (laughs) Super cool. And the guys are based in California and they've been working on this project for a little while. And when the pandemic hit, they were like, oh crap, I think it's our time. So they released a couple of beta versions and I got uh, connected to them really early on in April last year. And so it's a platform and you can use it to build uh, online events and conferences. So they have, um, and so what I'm doing with that is uh, to take a step back, I have a project called the marketplace of the future, which you just alluded to. And the marketplace of the future, you can think of it as um, a world's fair of sustainability. That's what I like to call it. Mm. Mm. And you can go to this event, just like the 1939 world's fair in New York where you go to this World's Fair and you see exhibits and you see showcases and products and services that are um, glimpses into the future. So in the 1939 World's Fair, and I know we're going uh, on a couple tangents here, but we'll bring it back home. Yes. Um, the 1939 World's Fair was the first time the public saw television. Wow. And it was the first time the public saw air conditioning. And it was the first time the public was introduced to uh, a model of interstate interconnected highways. Hmm. And it was particularly important because the nation was experiencing the great depression at the time. Hmm. Tensions were high and stress was high. And this fair gave people a glimpse of hope. It put, it was one of the first world's fairs. I think it was the world first world's fair that was centered around the future. Hmm. Hmm. And that, inspired Carl Sagan and then Neil deGrasse Tyson's parents took him to the 1964 world's fair and continued inspiring him. So there's just something so beautiful about world's fairs being this mm, embodied showcase of the best of us. 
this is what we want to present to the world is a reflection of the best of us. And I, I just love that so much. So taking that idea um, and creating the marketplace of the future, it's, it's, it's that world's fair concept, but in the context of environmental sustainability. So you go to the marketplace of the future and you see brands that are using recycled material to make their clothing. You see brands that are taking sequestered carbon out of the air and making pens out of it. Like my buddy, James, he has this company called Sky Baron. Um, <laughs> we work with New York Sunworks, which is a nonprofit in New York that builds greenhouses on top of schools. Mm. Uh, Bowery Farming was there. Um, Square Roots was there. Uh, we've worked with more than, I think, 60 to 70 brands over the last four years. And so last year, obviously, we couldn't have this event in person which it normally is, it's at the Star at Lehigh building in Manhattan, which has been one of our sponsors and supporters for years. They're incredible. Um, so since we weren't able to do it last year, I stumbled upon Gather, this digital platform. Yeah. And I met a group of architects, a literal, like actual architects. And I used um, the skills of the architects and we built this world, a world's fair of sustainability, and we put it into Gather so the little 8-bit avatars that we described earlier were able to walk around. They were able to walk up to a, a mini solar farm and click a button to learn more about solar energy. They're able to walk over to the right to, of the solar farm and interact with Crystal, who runs a company called Group Hug that makes beautiful decorative solar panels that you can put on your window. Um, all of this stuff. So this is the marketplace of the future, and this is one of our world-building projects. And I'm bringing it home. That's it. Yeah. Amazing. So you're literally building a world you're in conversation with designers, architects, coders, um, a bunch of different brands working at the edge of sustainability to build a world where someone like me can click on a link and navigate my way into that world. Yeah. That's yeah. it. That's Amazing. It. Amazing. Mm -hmm. I, uh, so for that evokes so much and there's so much I want to dig into there, but one, one thing I want to share one reflection. And I think the reason why, when you said world building, it sparked something for me is that, is that that's a term that's used, uh, pretty much all the time in, in the realms of science fiction and speculative fantasy and sort of any kind of, any kind of speculative fiction where the author is creating a world for their characters to inhabit that is not our world. And of course, like you could argue actually any fiction author or really any author is engaged in, on some level in an act of world building because it's their interpretation of our world, even if they're doing something li like literal or real. But, but it's obvious in these speculative spaces that you can start to imagine technologies, um, biology, you can start to imagine biologies, you can start to imagine planets with cities that that exist on the edge of the dark yep. and the light right like you yep. just start to build these that then our imaginations as the as the participants can go in and inhabit and uh i love that you're i love that actually like for the work that you're doing in the world which we're going to dig into some more you're actively thinking about what is it like for us as imagineers of the future to actually give people who aren't sitting around thinking about these things all the time, but who nonetheless have an imagination and a desire for things to be different. How do we give them an experience of that difference as opposed to just saying something like, 
you know, we need to sequester this much carbon every year or the planet's going to catch on fire. You know, <laughs> like there's sort of, there's sort of the, there's the non-future, which everyone has articulated really well. Like, I feel like in a way we kind of know some version of what could go wrong if we don't do anything, whether we believe it or not, whether we stick our heads in the sand or not, but you're, you're sitting in a different place. And I want to read something actually from your website, maybe before you, you build on this, which is, this is from future meets party. Oh, sick. Yeah. When we look into the future, we see a time in which the rainforests are full. The oceans and skies are clean. We see he, and we see all humans everywhere, keeping it moving. When you look closely, you'll see that future shining through this present moment, just like the gleam of a disco ball. <laughs> so good, man. So good. Like it just like just that those those th- two or three sentences just like soften me so much when I come up against my climate anxiety and the sort of feelings <laughs> I'm having about I'm like, oh yeah, like that possibility exists right now in our present. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if you could just talk more broadly. You know, you sort of spoke to world building at the level of gather and the fair, but like maybe we could just build on that. What are what is it that you're attempting to help us see or build as you as you lean into these really optimistic questions of our collective future? Mm. Yeah, that's so cool that you pulled <laughs> you pulled that. Thank you for finding that. Um, yeah, <clears throat> I think um, generally. Uh, I, I've been an optimist um, my whole life. I definitely recognize that. And you know what? Over the past couple of years, I started recognizing where that could be of service. It could also be a little bit um, tone deaf, if you will. Mm. 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 Um, one time I experienced uh, a workshop ran by my friend Liz, and it was all around actual climate anxiety, climate grief, and that kind of thing. And mm. so I went to it. And, and, and there was one question that she had, there was like 15 of us in the room and there was one question that she had, um, you know, she said, okay, imagine a line drawn down the center of the room. And then this side, like over here to the left is totally agree to the right is totally disagree. Mm. Right. Mm. Mm. And then she says, I'm going to ask you guys questions and then place yourselves along the line. Mm. And so if you're further over, like if the line's in the middle and you're close to the line, then you kind of agree or disagree, but not really strongly. And if you're like as far away from the line as possible, then you really disagree or is it just more binary? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like on a scale of one to 10, like this wall is 10, this wall is zero. And then everything in between is the number. So place yourself along the number. Got it. And the line's kind of in the middle sort of orienting you. Yeah. Okay. You could be strongly agree, not so much agree, whatever. And, and then she asked a really open-ended question like, um, like the f- we will be okay in the future or something like that, you know? And she didn't say within the next five years. She didn't say within the next 10 years. She didn't define that. But I thought found that to be the most special part about the question is just to see where, where is our natural center of gravity as we relate mm. to that, that point, that mm. question or that, that prompt. And so... Uh, we will go, we'll be okay in the future. So then I naturally just gravitated towards strongly agree. And I looked and I was the only one standing there. (laughs) And then, so everyone else, and I'm just like looking on the other side of the room and everyone's just like looking at me and I'm just like, God, like, I don't, am I, am I like missing something? You know? 
And then, and then, so we talked about it and I'm like, well, yeah, when I think about the future, I think about a time when we cross the speed bump, we're on, we're on a speed bump right now. If you, you just draw this line, there's a speed bump. So even take a step back even further. If you draw a timeline of the history of the planet and we go all the way back at one point, there was no planet. Yeah. It was just stardust orbiting the sun. Right. Yeah. And at one point it coalesced. And then, as you said, it turned into a ball of magma. And then eventually we turned, we had an atmosphere that condensed and we had uh, water and then it created life. Now we're here. Now we're kind of in the red <laughs> at this little speed bump. And then if you keep drawing the line, I intuitively sense that it will regenerate. Mm. That's just where, what my natural imagination goes to. Mm. And then, so when I think about the future, that's where I place our point. And then everyone else had responded like in the next five years, 10 years kind of thing, which, which if she would have said in the next 10 years, yeah, I would have been on that side of the room too, for sure. Anyway, Mm. I'm telling you this story because I just realized how much of a bubble I was in, in that moment. Mm. Mm. The following weekend, I took a sign out to union square and I took two chairs and I just wrote on this uh, cardboard and I just said, how do you feel about climate change? And I put it on the ground and I just sat there with two chairs for like an hour and a half, two hours maybe. And just people would slowly kind of like come look and they would sit down and they would talk to me. And I'm like, I'm just here to listen. Tell me what you think. And so one girl was expressing her grief, exactly like you're saying right now. And she was just like, I, I just, I like, I do my best. I recycle, I compost. I don't, I just don't know what to do. Like, I feel so alone, all this stuff. And then another person was talking about how he is uh, climate skeptical in the sense that it might just be part of an agenda to loop in all these other budget movements for the sake of climate. I heard everything that day. Mm. Mm. And it was mostly just illuminating to be able to approach my work as an environmental futurist, which I like to call myself, um, with, with full awareness of, of the, the scope of how we're all feeling about this. Yeah. Despite that, I still feel optimistic, <laughs> right, to bring us back. And so this, 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 this sensation and this concept of future meets present, this orientation of my center of gravity being in that future really started when I saw um, Adidas ocean plastic shoes. I don't know about these. Adidas has this line of shoes that are made out of ocean plastic Mm. in Mm. partnership with this company called Parlay. They take ocean plastic. Now, I looked at this pair of shoes one day. I think I was walking through Times Square and I saw an ad. must have been like 2015. And it just was so matter of fact that, oh, yeah, like, of course, in the future, we're just going to be doing this. And that's when the concept of future meets present hit me. This is what it looks like when the future meets present. Mm, mm. Building houses on top of schools. Mm. He's declaring zero waste schools, emissions mm. targets, these things. That's naturally what it looks like when the future meets present. So it just kind of became like a sense, a little bit of a hunch. And then I started finding evidence for it all over the place. And then bringing it back into a little bit more concrete, some science. Um, there's a, a great resource called Project Drawdown. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's the world's most comprehensive collection of plans to reverse global warming. So if anyone listeners haven't heard of it, definitely check out project drawdown. Um, they released a report last year with uh, 10 principles or insights, 10 insights. 
And the top one was now is better than new. <laughs> we have what we need to solve yeah. the climate crisis. Yeah, that's it. All we need is, is to scale it. We just need political will. We have all the technology. We have all the infrastructure. Some infrastructure, new infrastructure is required, of course. But we know what we need to do because mm. we know where the sources of emissions are coming from. Mm. Mm. There's five main sources of greenhouse gas emissions that are responsible for 100% of the emissions in the world. Mm. That's the transportation sector, the energy sector, the food and agriculture sector, buildings, Industry, meaning making all the stuff we use every day. And actually, there's a sixth category, which is other. And that gives me hope because if we know where the sources of emissions are, then that is indicative of the arenas of solutions. Yes, yes. And not only the arenas of solutions, but then, and this is your future meets present insight, some some room to start to apply our natural creative gifts to the solutions to actually say, oh, what could an entirely different world of transportation look like, right? And now we might come up with a hundred different versions of that. And it's not to say one is, maybe one is marginally better than the other because you, well, I can measure the carbon emissions of this version and it, but whatever. But at the end of the day, it's like, we have what we have because people 50 years ago, a hundred years ago made choices. Mm. We can make new choices. Yep. that aren't just about telling you that your way of life isn't good enough. It's actually about saying that, that the way of life we built has the seeds for an even more beautiful way of life. If we're all willing to say yes to it, that's what go. I'm like really struck by with your approach to these questions. Um, and just as like kind of a counterpoint, I'm reading Yuval Noah Harari's book right now. Someone just gifted it to me, the 20, 21 lessons for the 21st century. And, you know, he's anchored much more in, in like all the ways in which we could really screw things up even more. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so I get it. Like we need the kind of people reminding yeah. us of the here, careful, 100%. careful. But if, if everyone's over there and there's only Amir over on the other side of the line by himself going like, wait, do you see this? It's so beautiful over here. And everyone's like, what are you, what are you talking about? But you're like, no, actually like, I'm going to come a little closer to you. Right. And I'm going to bring what I can see with me so that you can start to see it too. Damn, Andy, that is, yeah. <laughs> oh, so sick to hear you reflect that. Yeah. I love it, man. Yeah. Just I'm so like, just, I'm like alive with excitement just by having prepared for this conversation and being with you right now. So thank you. Well, you touch on a lot of super important points, Andy, and it's something that I learned in grad school. Um, I, I got my degree in design for social innovation, mm. and we learned a couple of really important um, just concepts. And one is to uh, design within your scope of influence. Mm. Mm. Say more about that. And what I mean by that is you, you look at your audience, you look at who's around you, you look at who you have access to. If you're uh, still a graduate student and you're looking to create a solution for, for people, you might want to start uh, with the people that you have access to, the students, your family, your friends, that kind of thing. Um, if you are in some sort of a higher level of influence, if you have a strong celebrity fo or following, then you can... Oh, sorry, I was... I don't know if you could hear. Nope, okay. nope, we're good. Yeah, no worries. The okay. joys, I mean, people have listening to the show have heard my kids in the background, have heard doors slam. You know, it's like we're just all, we're all in the midst of our home life as we try and do our our, yeah. our professional life too. So it's all good. 
Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So you're saying like if you're a celebrity and you have uh, more a bigger sphere of influence, you might dot dot dot. That was this the thought you were just into. Okay. Um, yeah, to design within your scope of influence. And then actually the the main thing that I had remembered from that was um within whatever your scope of influence is, your design needs to be irresistible. Design something that is irresistible, make the solution irresistible. That's, that's, that's another thing. Mm. It, it's not, it's not so much like trying to convince anybody, anything, but create the solution in a, in a way that's like, I can't look away from this. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I can't unsee how awesome this is when I go back and look at the thing I'm doing now. Yeah. Like mm. Tesla has it, has it done right. They're mm. not trying to convince anybody to use electric cars. They're just making them irresistible. Yeah. Yeah. And something else I was going to say too. You started, I know we got, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What you were saying about uh, Harari's book. Yes. Yeah. And how it's important to have that voice in part of the conversation. And, and I watched Greta Thunberg, Greta Thunberg's documentary. You seen that yet? I haven't seen the the full documentary now, but. Incredible. Okay. So good. Yeah. And, and, and she, um, in that same vein is, is sounding the alarm. Yeah. That's the, that's like, that's that voice. It's sounding the alarm mm. and we need to sound the alarm because the house is on fire. We mm. also need to see where the door is and we need to see what's on the outside of the door. We need to see how do we get there? And, and it's, it's creating these needs based solutions. So if we think about what the future needs, the future of transportation could look like we can come up with all these concepts. We can also think about more on a more granular level, where are the emissions coming from and what is, what is the solution of that need to look like? Mm. We're not really making that much stuff up. Mm. We're just taking a look and saying, well, we need less cars on the road and those cars that are on the road, we need them to be powered by something renewable. And then from there, what might the preconditions be for there to be much less cars on the road? Well, maybe ride, maybe the concept of individual car ownership might become antiquated at some point. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And how do we get there? What are those preconditions? Well, maybe rideshare services are just so inexpensive and efficient and delightful that you won't, it'll be more burdensome to own a car. Mm. 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 And can we find evidence of that? Now we're talking about future meeting present. Mm. Now we're talking about environmental futurism. Now we're talking about the role of design to bring that future to life. Make these systems, make these uh, vehicles, make these services beautiful, cheaper, efficient, and accessible. And, And then that is a solution that is irresistible. Then the other one just by default becomes antiquated. Yeah. Uh, I love that. And I love that there's a version, like I hear in that and tell me if this is, is true for you too, but I hear in that a whole world of opportunity for all sorts of people, right? Like here and there uh, opportunities for designers, for 
for skilled skilled labor, for uh, manufacturers, for people who want to learn something new, for for people who want to get into politics. Like, there's all of these different elements of that, which like you could go like, oh, this is why it's so damn hard. But on the flip side, it's like this is why there's so much opportunity is because there's room for lots of people to come to the table and contribute to that future right now in the present. Hell yeah. That it's not just about some really smart person in Silicon Valley coming up with some really cool technology that we all then just go like, wow. Right. Like there are versions of that, but we also see how, how destructive that approach to, to change can be when one really smart person who maybe hasn't thought of all of the variables or has, and doesn't care about them. Decides to invent something that impacts our whole life, right? Like instead, like we could all really roll up our sleeves and be a part of this future that you're describing, which is awesome. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Reskilling, reorienting, a a total new model of of working. What's your relationship to questions of, how can I put this? I'm not even quite sure what the question is, but like, Maybe I'll actually connect Yuval's book here because this is, I think we're in this space. Like there's one version of the future that he describes pretty intensely where it's like, we have essentially made ourselves irrelevant because we've built all of these technologies that for better and for worse, do all of these things that we thought we were the ones that we're supposed to do. Like, so they've automated healthcare and, and we've, you know, using AI, we've, we've automated transportation and using AI, but, 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 but. And so then, so if that's true of like, if you look at these five buckets, transportation is now automated, food manufacturing is now automated. Um, uh, I can't remember what the other three are, but like, you know, like those buckets that you named, if we managed to actually do all of the things he's describing he's seen kind of the negative repercussions of that, which is to say, well, what are humans going to do? And, 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 but I I sense in that like fear of irrelevance is an assumption that all of us, that all of us, that like the only way to be a person is to have a job maybe. And that there's actually some other deeper level of creativity or um, way of being that's both simpler and also way more rewarding than our really hectic, full modern lives lead us to believe like that. This is the way life is supposed to be mm. like, just so, so that, so I'm just curious, like what's your relationship to the question of a world where people don't have to be consumers and don't have to be producers all the time. And actually like we've solved some of these challenges and now we kind of get to go like, now what, mm. you know, are, are we just, are we just kind of farming the earth in a regenerative way and living way more simply? Are we, are we traveling to outer space and exploring new frontiers? Are you know, like just, just what's, how are you relating to that question of what our role is if we get to this future where things are a lot more sustainable? Damn, that's so cool. That's such a, I actually, I'm, thank you for, um, for opening up your thoughts a little bit more on that. Cause I'm, I'm curious to hear more. I think, um, I think off the cuff, something else that I've been turning around as it relates to that question um, is thinking about really like, I don't know if life will be, once we've solved our problems, once we've gotten on the other side of the speed bump, if you yeah. will, use yeah. our metaphor earlier, I, I don't know if life will be that 
particularly much different. And I know that there's a lot of resistance around a utopic vision um, or there's a lot of resistance around these kind of things. It just, it's a big leap of, 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 of normalcy. Um, and that can be scary. Mm. Mm. And, and I was talking to my friend Andy about this actually recently, Andy, um, <laughs> he was, that must be an awesome dude girl, but yes. <laughs> and we were talking about it and, and, and I think what I think is one of the most important things to just appreciate about the possibility of reaching net zero and reaching uh, a more automated world if we want to go in that direction, but going on the other side of the speed bump is we'll still sort of be where we are. I just think we'll be in a less insecure state of being. Mm, like mm, one mm. less true issue will be on the table. Like mm. imagine we're at home and I'm arguing with my roommate or whatever. Also, we'll still have arguments, but at least we won't be doing it with the threat of eviction. <sighs> yeah. But at least we won't be doing it in fear of not being able to have food on the table. There'll be, we'll just have stepped up one level of satisfying an order of needs. Mm. Now mm. imagine that around the world. Mm. We'll still be, bickering we'll still have arguments and disagreements and i don't know i hopefully not wars but we will just be able to breathe easier knowing that we're not on the brinks of existential collapse yeah just with that gone let's just live our lives and do the things we need to do with just that part not there anymore let's just solve that that higher order need Mm. Mm. and then yeah, to your point about what does a more automated world look like and what is a human's role in that? I, what, you, what do you think? <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Well, first I want to underline how even expressing the possibility that a future is out there, which of course it has to be because the future has infinite possibilities, but that there's a future out there where we have let go of our scarcity mindset as it relates to our planet and to our lives. Mm-hmm. This belief that the planet is a resource and therefore a resource is something we can use and consume. And then therefore at some point we will have consumed it all, but rather like this idea that the planet and how we live on the planet can be totally in harmony. And in that harmony, we can live lives filled with a lot less fear and stress about, about what, what next the next day or week or month is going to bring. I just really love you and love that vision for like, I love that you're saying that for us. So thank you. Um, you know, it's funny in, in uh, Yuval's book, 20, 21 lessons for the 21st century, you know, he talks about uh, there was a study done in Israel, uh, Israel. Apparently there is a subset of, of Orthodox Jews who are supported by the state who, as a result of their faith and as a result of kind of Israel's commitment to, to Judaism in the country, basically saying that if you are practice this very Orthodox version of, of Judaism, you can spend your whole day reading and interpreting ancient texts. Like that's sort of what their faith calls is for them to lean in to their faith even more deeply. And in it, you know, and in the, in, in that little bubble of existence inside the kind of conventional reality of, of consumption and production, of course, there are people who are like, Hey, that's not going to last forever. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta play your part Orthodox Jews and start going to work like the rest of us. Right. So there's that, that's sort of like one story that has a lot of weight and heft, but, but I just imagine 
and maybe this is me kind of projecting my own sort of sense of what I'd love to do. And uh, so maybe I'll just speak for myself. Like I would love a future where I had total permission without any of that sense of scarcity that you've just described to read the books I want to read, to write the stories I want to write, to spend the time with my family, how I want to spend it, to go deep down uh, esoteric rabbit holes of wisdom and knowledge and experience. And just kind of like, like what would be possible if all of us had access? We already all have access to all the information that we could ever need at times a bajillion, but what if we could actually do something with it? What if we got really excited about a thing and there was like whatever that was game design or, or, uh, or like some ancient meditation practice or some sports that you like, like, I really want to become a circus artist or whatever it is that you like are excited about that you, that your pragmatic part has said, like, we can't do that. You got to go earn an income. What mm-hmm. if, what if we could somehow remove that and give people total social permission to become artists or philosophers or call it whatever you want, but just like, like artists of living our job, our job no longer is to produce and consume. Our job is to, to make life as creative and as meaningful and as fun as we can for each other. So I think like, that's like what I want to anchor in is like, maybe just maybe our role becomes the collective kind of meaning makers of life, the collective kind of creators of life against this backdrop of a really sustainable automated world where we don't have to worry as much about like, and if you really want to work hard, if you love physical labor, like, cool, like go, like you can choose to go work in a mine somewhere. Like, I don't know. Like we just have that total spectrum of choice available and guidance and support for people to do it. That would be what, like, that would be what I love would love if we could get to the other side of the speed bump that you're describing. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's super, that makes a lot of sense. And it, it, intuitively, I think there's a lot of qualities in that that makes sense too. I think we can only foresee at to the limit of the capacity at which we're developed to see. Yeah. We can only see to the mm, extent mm, that mm, the telescope yes. we have can show us. Yes. Yes. And, and, and then recognizing that there are better, there are bigger telescopes being created that we'll be able to show us things that we can't see yet. Yes. yes. Whether it's externally or internally. Yes. And, and I think knowing that in combination with the human humans as nature and now what is our role in nature? And I think part of that is, is this, um, again, my friend Andy likes to talk about this phenomenon of, of humans being information sharers. <laughs> information gather Buckminster Fuller also talks a lot about yes, yeah. humans as information gatherers and, and, and then this phenomenon of us sharing information across time and space. That's what we've been doing throughout history. Right. And we do that to prepare the next generation for a better chance of survival. We create mm-hmm. those conditions mm-hmm. for the next generation to be able to survive and thrive and continue sharing information and continue expressing themselves. And like the way Carl Sagan says, the universe exp- ex- experiencing itself, these kind of things. And so what might the convergence of that look like on the other side of the speed bump? Like how, um, what's his face freaking the power of now, uh, Eckhart Tolle, Eckhart Tolle. Tolle? Yeah. Yeah. Tolle, Eckhart Tolle, Tolle. Yeah. How he talks about a moment in time where we won't need to create more time. We're just going to be happy being <laughs> that we we have calendar days and, and the time moves on, but we won't need to just, we will have less if then statements. Oh, if, if this happens, then I'll feel this, then I'll mm. be, 
we'll just sort of be our, our basic mm. needs will be met mm. and we'll be in a place like you're saying, where we can be a little bit more invested and in prioritizing information sharing and creativity. And what might that convergence look like? Episode 13 of season two of Cosmos, swear to you, Andy, and, and anyone that's listening, to bring this back a little bit full, full circle, we started talking about the 1939 World's Fair, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Episode 13 shows us the 2039 World's Fair. <laughs> Come Sick. the freak. When I, I was like, oh, crap, when I watched this, this episode. I watched it again last night. And they show you, imagine a museum or World's Fair, you can go to it, and then you can choose to experience any moment in the history of time. <laughs> you enter this little orb and then it takes you just like a carousel on like a, a roller coaster. It just takes you like, or like a Disney uh, ride where it just takes you into the tunnel and you see like this magic wonderland. It takes you into this cosmic calendar where you see all of time compressed into one single calendar year. Yeah, yeah. You can go back to like January 1st, which is the big bang. Or you could go to like September, whatever, which was the day that the earth was formed, or you could go. And then I, I see this interactive. Experience that brings humans to any moment in time and space. As what it might look like when. AI and technology and the other side of the speed bump all converge into an optimal expression of what humans can create. Mm. 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 And you can watch that on an episode, which, so we're not the only ones thinking about this. Yeah. Yeah. We cast that, that, that fishing rod way far into the future. It lands in the pond and then we reel it back towards the present and people are casting their fishing rods way out. <sighs> You know, and it's that beacon. It's like that, that signal of that future that is possible. And it's just bringing a lot of us on with it. And we're finding evidence around it. Anyway, I'll, I'll pause there for a moment. Cause that's, wow. That was, that was my first time audibly processing that, that, that thought. So, wow. That thanks. was awesome. Yeah. I'm so glad we went in that direction. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. What comes up for me actually, as you describe the, the ability to travel anywhere in time and, and the universe's history and also into its possible futures. I think the history piece is actually really important. You know, one of the things I've been sitting with a lot and writing about a lot and reflecting a lot, especially now that I'm a parent, is, is the sense of lineage of where we come from. And, and one of the tragedies, it seems to me, of our modern life is that, that both by design and by accident, we've really cut ourselves off from our lineage. And, and you know, we could do a deep exploration into how how you know migrating around the world and all, there's all sorts of lots of forces technology our modern culture that have kind of come together to make you're like born into this world and, and your job as as with every person who's ever been born into this world is to figure out how to survive in it and so you're instantly already from the moment you're taking maybe even inside the womb you're already kind of forming a sense of what's safe what's safe what's not what's interesting, what's not. And everyone has different sort of thresholds for that. I see that with my kids, like where do they intuitively feel safe and not, and like, it's just like amazing to watch, but, but we kind of confuse the modern world, which is just one moment in this vast 
cosmic story as reality. We go like, oh, this is it. I got it. This is how the world works. And then as we get older, some of our assumptions get punctured because people, you know, something doesn't go how we, it's supposed to. We get fired from a job. We don't get into college. We thought we're, what it like, if someone breaks up with us, like all of us sort of, we have to re kind of complexify our worldview, but it's ultimately still rooted in this kind of idea of like, oh, this is what the world is. People have cars and they pay rent and they have, a, or they have a mortgage and they have a health plan and, or they don't. And then they have, they're impoverished. And, you know, this is how the world works. And it's like, no, actually we can look in the past and, and kind of actually go, oh, we think the past was harder, but if we go back far enough, there's tons of evidence of human beings, our, our ancestors living in wonderful harmony with nature, hmm. right? There's wisdom in the past for us. There's also a reminder of how problems were solved then like well where did fire come from well we could we can think about that okay so what are the implications of of that for for how we want to use solar power moving forward right like we can just start to start to weave a collectively much bigger and more beautiful and more true picture of what reality is which then in turn gives us way more room to play in the future as opposed to just kind of like well i guess people people drive in cars okay Cars, it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Get our get our energy from fossil fuels. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Got to buy these things. These if then statements. That's the way it is. Yeah. But that normal can change. Yes. Yes. It can, and it is. It needs to. It needs to, and it could be so much fucking cooler. <laughs> like that's what you're, that's what I feel like you're doing, which I'm just jazzed about is you're saying, yes, it needs to. And it could be so fucking cool if we do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it, there's, it's very likely that it just naturally will be cooler. One of the reasons I say that is because we're seeing um, a more holistic approach to design. Mm. If you think about, for example, um, in June when uh, the Dragon spacecraft took off, Tesla's spacecraft, yeah, it was the first commercial spacecraft to send astronauts to the ISS. You know, you just look at like everything from their suits to the space, the, the design of the spacecraft itself to the dashboard, the data dashboard, that digital touch screen in comparison to what uh, modules used to look like in spacecrafts of decades previous. Yeah, yeah. Decade, right? Like all the crazy buttons. And then this just how it's wonderful, beautifully designed, beautifully visualized, very easy on the eye. It is the role of design is just making everything more holistic and sophisticated and beautiful. Mm. And that trend, I think, is just going to permeate everything. So we're going to see just beautiful buildings like communications designed wonderfully so i just think it, it, it there's a lot of yeah i think it will be beautiful mm. Mm. thank you for <laughs> offering that amir <laughs> really i really mean that like deep deep thanks for being a beacon of possibility amidst a lot a pretty anxious time that we're living through as a species, you know, we are, we are, if it's a speed bump, man, we are like on that. We're on it right now. <laughs> we just hit it really hard. And we're like in the air, like, yeah, what the fuck's going to happen. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's just really wonderful to hear that we might land on the other side and discover there's whole new worlds of possibility that, that we couldn't imagine from where we're sitting right now because our telescope just doesn't have enough, enough detail. And you're like coming along and being like, check, put this lens over your telescope. It's like, Whoa. (laughs) man. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that, Andy. I think it's, uh, it's, 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 it's time. There's so many conversations on the table and energy flows where attention goes. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm have the alarm it's sounding great keep it on turn it up at the same time look and see where we need to go and what are the conversations looking like there and what how much of them are happening now even last night if you watch the super bowl a lot of the commercials just had this underscored uh tone of camaraderie of oneness of things you know call it greenwashing call it like pr stunts and moves whatever i a lot of it is yes for sure but at the same time I, I refuse to believe that there's not people that think the same way we think that work in all these organizations. Yeah. That actually are like, Oh, what can I do to? Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. You it know? doesn't, it, it's both. There's both the cynical reality is here, but it sure. doesn't have to Absolutely. be the whole reality. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Mm. And I just want to say maybe as we come towards our, our time boundary here and I'll give you the last word, but one thing I'm really tuning into because I've just, we've just been really playing in this effervescent future possible space that you've, that you've created just by how you show up in the world. You know, there are likely people who are, who are standing way on the other side of the line. You know, they're in that room with us right now being like, yeah, strongly disagree or I'm strongly skeptical or I'm strongly afraid, or I don't see, I I don't yet. It sounds too pie in the sky, but what I, but, but you've mentioned and alluded to, and we'll share these in the show notes, like some pretty incredible resources. Like I was checking out the project drawdown website and I was checking out um, some links in a short article you wrote about the world's fair. And it's like, just, there are people who are sitting really creatively and intentionally with a question of like, what do we do about plastic? Well, here's a program called loop that allows you to get everything that you use in reusable, like reusable packages, not recyclable, but re like, this is the reuse part of reduce, reuse, recycle. It's like, if you're going to get something put in a bottle, make sure you use that bottle again or send it to someone else to use it. And that, and we can build a whole infrastructure to make that possible if we want to. And in fact, some people already have. It's like, oh, like there are solutions right here, right now, present moment that point towards the kind of possible features that I think you're so lit up about. And I just want to, I want to make sure people who are sitting with skepticism go and check out those resources. Yeah. And keep your skepticism. Yeah. Yeah. It's super, it's valuable. It's so valuable. And now more than ever, it's valuable that that skepticism is acted upon because as social change happens two ways bottom up and top down. And then there's this convergence in the middle. That's the marketplace and community building and, and people. Um, and, and then I think as companies and organizations and governments alike are being informed by the pressures of the gra- grassroots movements, we have to keep holding everyone accountable. We have to hold the brands accountable. We have to hold the governments accountable. We have to, so that skepticism is actually a very important tool. Mm, mm, mm. Just hold on to it. And also hold on to some possibility that there are people that are trying to innovate these systems. Mm. Mm. If you don't want to bring your reusable bag to the grocery 
store every time, fine. Not everybody will. If you don't want to order from Loop and do all these things, fine. Not everybody will. If you do do it, if you don't, realize that at some point, the systems will adapt around you to where your natural functions won't be detrimental. Mm. Mm. You'll, you're you'll, you're going to see reusable, uh, you're going to see deodorant and you're going to see uh, shampoo and laundry detergent and these things that you normally buy at the store come in reusable packaging. And you're going to see refill stations at your local Walmart. You're going to see um, incentives for wanting to mail it back. You're going to see these things. And it, the system is just going to slowly start adapting around those people so that it just makes it a seamless process, mm. whatever it happens to be. So hold on mm. to the skepticism and also open up to recognizing progress when we see it. Couldn't think of a better place to end than that. They <laughs> tied up in a bow. Nice, man. Easy. Cool. Okay, great. We got there. We're done. We got this, everyone. <laughs> we're, we're there. We're on our way. That's not a but it's still possible. Mm, mm. Amir, <laughs> thank you. This has been such a fun one. Thanks Hell for being yeah. in the Wonder Dome. Thank you. <laughs> Super guy. I can't wait for this to be out. When, when are we? When can I start sharing this with my friends? Yeah, we're uh, the show has really has really kind of taken off in the past six months. So it's going to be a few months. I've got a few. I've got like probably another. 10 episodes lined up before this one goes out. So it's uh, February now. People will be hearing this in May, spring. Amazing. Time of possibility and and blooming and blossoming. So the timing will be really nice. Cool. Well, I'm sure a lot's going to happen between now and then. Yes. 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 Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Cool, man. Well, if you're listening now, um, it is February and the Future Meets Present website is not fully up but well wait a minute back then okay let's say back then in february the website was not fully up but if you're listening now it is up nice you can check it out and you will see a lot of the things that we've talked about here today um actually shown in one place futuremeetspresent.com you'll check that out brilliant thank you amir hell yeah andy that's awesome thanks everyone for listening man thanks for tuning into the wonder dome This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Sirqua, and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact on the lives of others. Consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep the show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now more than ever.